0: All right, Brother Woodward has asked me to just lead in prayer and looking forward to the truth that the Lord had, uh, has for us tonight. It's on an area that we all have to grapple with from time to time, and it's very important. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity of this hour. And Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that are completely receptive to all that you have for us. May there be no resistance. And Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your victory over the enemy. Would you expose the enemy's lies tonight that have hindered? And Lord, tonight, I pray that we would submit to you and resist the devil that he might flee. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you now to manifest your victory over the enemy. Breathe on us now, blessed Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, brother. Good evening, and welcome back. Good to see each of you tonight. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Wonderful verse there about forgiveness that I hope you'll meditate on tonight with me. My wife and I have uh, really been blessed by the meetings, uh, Sunday, Monday, and today. Uh, I believe i 'm also going to help out tomorrow night in prayer meeting, looking forward to that as well, um, but we do need to pray for Brother John as he heads back uh, to the u s tomorrow, traveling mercies for him, and uh, do bring our greetings to your wife and son back there in Michigan also uh, Dr. Solomon, my mentor and coworker from Grace Fellowship, texted me today and said, Please uh, greet the folks there in Dublin um, and with uh, his greetings and prayers for god 's continued blessing on the ministry here so Greetings from, from Chuck, as we call him. Um, Ephesians 4 um, has a couple of important principles here for us as we deal with this topic of freedom in Christ, especially as it relates to forgiveness. And um, One of the verses i like um, to mention to you is verse 26, Ephesians 4, 26, which says, uh, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. By the way, that reminds me of this couple that celebrated their golden wedding anniversary and, and they were asked uh, about the secret of their long, happy marriage. And, and uh, the husband said, well, one of our, our secrets is that we chose to not ever go to bed angry. And the wife said, sometimes we had to be up for two or three days at a time. <laughs> but anyway, um, one reason we don't want to let anger and hostility simmer is what's mentioned in the next verse, in verse 27. It says, nor give place to the devil. Now, what does that mean? It's not talking about demon possession. I believe we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're safe in our spirit. But the enemy can oppress us. And uh, that's why Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. So I believe that when it talks about giving place to the devil, it's saying that if we harbor an attitude of rebellion or unbelief, which can manifest a number of different areas, then that can give the enemy an opportunity. It can give him an open door. And uh, one translation says, uh, you know, gives, it gives him ground. So you'll notice in your notes tonight, one page says, taking back ground from the enemy. So I'll talk about that briefly. This morning we talked about um, this diagram, this kind of map. Yeah, there's a little... Being here, um, we mentioned that, that the Egypt wilderness Canaan history of Israel, that map, so to speak, is also symbolic of our Christian journey. And we mentioned that as the nation of Israel were redeemed by God from Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, that reminds us of our salvation. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about those symbolic uh, parallels. And we said that just as the children of Israel were sidetracked in the wilderness, For how many years? 40 40 long years. So many, if not most, believers are sidetracked from their full potential. Although they are redeemed, self is still in the center in a functional sense. They're living out of their old identity, in their own strength, whatever their version of the flesh might be. They're not experiencing what we would call identification with Christ. So then crossing the Jordan River came next. The book of Joshua describes that as they... uh, Submitted to the Lord and believed Joshua. Uh, They carried the Ark of the Covenant. The priest did into the Jordan and God stopped the river upstream. And as the water subsided, the nation crossed over and entered into Canaan. And that's a picture of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Making that personal in the words of Romans 6. Counting that to be true personally. Nevertheless, I live yet. Not I, but who lives in us? Christ lives in me. So the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we've been talking in previous messages about uh, crossing the Jordan River. And the document you got yesterday, what we call the Selfish Prayer, is simply a, a guideline of the kind of surrender and brokenness and reckoning faith that claims is true, our co-death, our co-burial, our co-res- co-resurrection, our co-ascension with the Lord Jesus said that's like crossing into the promised land therefore um, the wilderness is symbolic of the frustrated defeated Christian like in Romans 7 uh, Canaan is a picture of Romans 8 of trusting Christ to live his life through us it's not a, a life that's sinless or problem-free but it's a life with a new perspective that it's not I but Christ and so think with me back to the book of Joshua that they crossed the Jordan River a number of things happened um, There was circumcision where they recognized God's covenant relationship once again. And then Joshua meets this mysterious angel. And he's called the captain of the Lord's host. And Joshua says, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And the angel said, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's armies. And Joshua, you need to take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. In other words, as someone said, the angel was saying, I've not come to take sides. I've come to take over. And so Joshua submitted to the Lord, and he recognized uh, the chain of command here. So then he was given the instructions about marching around Jericho, that mysterious plan of simply marching around in a solemn assembly, seven laps on consecutive days, seven final laps in the last day, and they shouted, and the walls, and in the words of the children's song, came a-tumbling down. So we're going to suggest to you that the walled cities such as Jericho remind us of what we read this morning from 2 Corinthians 10:3 and 4, and 5 that if you and I have an area of resistance in our life, that's a, a stronghold. It's a pocket of resistance. It's basically an area of deception. And what I asked you this morning was John 8:32. our Lord said, if the truth sets us free, I asked, what would deception do? Remember that question? And deception means that we would have a lack of freedom in that area of our life. And so we see that when God gave the children of Israel the land of Israel, then they had God's authorization to take the land. Uh, however, after Jericho, uh, they disobeyed the Lord. They were to devote everything to the Lord. Um, but remember, uh, Achan violated God's covenant, uh, kept some of the things to, for himself. And due to that, that rebellion, uh, they forfeited the next victory. They were defeated at Ai until they got things right with God. So this document, which I'd like to briefly show you, is basically about how to proceed in terms of the freedom in Christ process, how to ask God uh, to take back any ground that the enemy may occupy. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. So I believe that um, we can answer the question, what gives ground to the devil this way? You give ground at any point where you actively resist God's grace and truth. If we are in rebellion, if we're not believing God, that gives the enemy an opportunity to, uh, to hassle us, to oppress us, to rob us of our freedom. And we don't want that, do we? So let's just think about these two concepts, ground related to non-surrender. Remember we talked about total surrender? Well, that's an ongoing attitude, isn't it? We already read about anger. Anger is a hostility that's demanding our rights. We need to resolve anger. Not that anger in and of itself is wrong. Notice the verse that says, be angry, but not in a sinful way. Not in a way that you harbor it out of selfish reasons. So uh, we need to let go and process anger. Then the second thing to look for is rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. So we want to submit to God and recognize that He um, needs. we need to be in obedience to him. And then another aspect of non-surrender is pride. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud person. You know, pride is that attitude that just sneaks in so easily, doesn't it? We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt us in due time. Also, um, watch out for hatred. Uh, the Bible says that our primary responsibility is to love everyone. So if I am harboring hatred for someone, then that's, that's an attitude of resistance to God, is giving the enemy a foothold. And then our topic tonight, unforgiveness, a very common stronghold, an attitude that needs to be uh, replaced with truth. And Colossians 3 talks about either forbear or forgive, and uh, that is clearly God's will. So if you and I kind of fold our arms and say, no, I don't want to forgive that person, well, we're going to be grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants us to demonstrate God's love because he sends his rain on the evil and the good. He calls us to Forgive. Well, if those are some attitudes of non-surrender that we need to deal with, consider these aspects of unbelief. Now, the Bible says that whatever is not of faith is sin. And it says this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now, think back with me to Genesis 3. What was Satan's primary tactic when he first tempted Eve? Has God said, question mark, that's what he's going to try to do for you and me, friend. He's going to try to make us doubt the word of God. And so uh, he is a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. So we need to realize that the enemy is going to try to make us doubt the word of God. We need to take God at his word and realize that that is um, the, the banner of faith is our banner of victory. Another thing I'd like for you to consider with me is to watch out for idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says that idolatry is like the sin of witchcraft. Uh, rather, idolatry is, uh, is a form of idolatry. Covetousness is a form of idolatry. I'll get it right eventually. So if I'm, if I'm coveting something, if I'm making something um, more important in my life than it should be, uh, it's a form of idolatry. If I'm trusting something or someone to meet needs that only God can meet, then I'm making an idol. An idol doesn't have to be a statue you know, on the mantle of your house. It can be a person. It can be an activity that we put ahead of God. So we need to search our heart about that as well. And then guilt. In Revelation twelve ten, it says that the enemy is the accuser. Remember that he's the accuser of the brethren, and I've heard he's the accuser of the sister in too. So he 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 points that finger of accusation at us, doesn't he? He wants to kick us while we're down. Now, uh, conviction of sin is valid; we need to repent of sin. But he wants us to feel shamed and as if we can't approach the Lord, and that's and that's deception. So we need to Romans eight one, as we heard. Um, this morning, that there's no condemnation. Amen? To those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And then self-pity. Isaiah 49, I know I'm going through this very quickly, but Isaiah 49 is a passage where Israel is really doubting God's love and His faithfulness. And they're reassured that, that it's, it's as if God has us on his, the palms of His hands. And that's actually true because our Lord Jesus in His glorified body does have nail-scarred hands demonstrating God's compassion and care for us. Self-pity. My friend Chuck Solomon has a number of witty sayings and one of them is, a pity party is the only party where you eat all of your own refreshments. It's kind of a lonely party to have, isn't it? Self-pity. So we want to turn that into into thanksgiving and trust. Uh, Fear and worry. Fear and worry are basically uh, saying that I can't trust God to keep me safe so I need to try to to compensate that by fear and worry. But Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And we need to replace worry uh, with peace through prayer. So that's just a quick run through those areas. And so tonight we're going to talk about a basic truth encounter, which is uh, the need for forgiveness. And so um, if you turn over the page, we'll just talk about forgiveness for a moment. And uh, here at the end of Ephesians 4:32, we read, "And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake hath forgiven you." you now, since it 's right on your notes, could you read that verse with me at the top of the page together? "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you." So notice that this is not only an exhortation, we need to be kind and to forgive one another, but it's also a model. It's saying forgive as God forgave you. Well, when my wife and I moved from Quebec, Canada, to Ontario to pastor church, we inherited a a difficult situation. And it's a situation in which God taught me some important lessons about forgiveness. And that was that a teenager in one family was accused of molesting the daughter of another family, a young girl, and these two families were really hurting. Um, obviously, the family of the girl who uh, had been molested was, was very upset by what had happened. But also, uh, this other family in the church, they were upset too because the teenage boy said, no, I didn't do anything. And so he wasn't admitting he did anything wrong, but yet there was this rift. And so as I counseled the one family... Um, taught you know, counseled them and, and encouraged them, but then I would counsel the other family, but both were really hurting due to this this issue. I remember talking to uh, the family of the girl and the grandfather in particular was really angry. He was remember what we read about don't let the sun go down on your wrath? He was harboring real hostility uh, regarding this boy. And I, I talked about the role of forgiveness and I said, Well how are you moving ahead in the forgiveness journey? He said, why should I forgive that boy? He hasn't even admitted he's done anything wrong. I kind of thought to myself, well, he's got a point there. But I could tell that that attitude of hostility and resentment and bitterness was not doing him any good. So I prayed to the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom on how to help these families. Well, not long after that, um, I got a call from another couple in our, our community, and the man had a very bizarre story. As a teenager... But an 18-year-old, he was abused by, um, by three priests, you know, and they had their dark garb on, his, his memory, and he was abused by them, and, uh, but he went to a hypnotist following that, that incident, and the hypnotist, you know, <laughs> um, caused him to forget that trauma, well, for the next 25 years or so, it's like he totally forgot about it until he was in the lobby of a hotel in Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, there was a clergy convention, and, and many many men were walking into the lobby of this hotel wearing a similar, similar kind of clerical vestments as what happened over 25 years ago. And it was almost like this memory got ripped open and flooded into his mind because it was artificially sealed by hypnotism, which is not a valid use of of counseling. That's not a thing that we recommend. So it was a manipulation of the mind. So when that memory got ripped open, he actually freaked out and ran down the street like a crazy person. His wife called me saying, could you help my husband? He's really seething with anger. He had gone to, um, I guess you could describe it as kind of a, a shrine that was kind of broken down. He took a sledgehammer and he was just hammering you know, that shrine because he was so upset about what had happened to him. So again, I could tell that that the wrath of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God, and, and this man was not in victory. And he was writing letters, you know, to the leaders of this religious organization. They were hands off. They weren't acknowledging. They did anything wrong. And again, I thought, well, here's a man who has not received an apology, and yet obviously he's in defeat, he's in anger, and he's in bitterness. Lord, what's the answer? Around that time, I got an invitation for a counseling seminar called Hope for the Abused. And two women led the seminar. One was a nurse who was a counselor. The other was a woman who, who experienced sexual abuse as a girl. And uh, they had co-written some literature together. So I asked this, this troubled uh, man I just referred to to come with me to the seminar, and he agreed to. And as we went to the seminar, uh, the woman who had been abused described a time where she grew up. She was, she was trying to process that, that resentment and uh, the, the elderly, uh, the man, the, the relative who abused her, never admitted it, never repented. And the counseling she got was a secular counseling model that said that she should hold on to her anger as a form of self-protection. But you know, friends, that became a stronghold, like a Jericho in her life. She was a believer, but she was totally defeated. And one day she was driving along in her car with her three children in the back seat, and she had an overwhelming urge to drive off a cliff and take take out all three, all four of them, herself and her three children. Well, she somehow managed to avoid that, and then she realized that she had to get Christian counseling. And as she went through the counseling process, uh, she heard about her identity in Christ, and she heard about the need to repent. She heard about the need for freedom in Christ, which, remember, we call phase three in your chart from this morning. And so she went through that, and one of the key steps in the freedom in Christ process is forgiveness. Well, she forgave this person. She realized that it was a vertical decision that even though the person who abused her never repented, she needed to be free. So she relinquished it to God and she described the freedom that she received. And then she distinguished the fact that that vertical forgiveness was different from whether or not that man was ever reconciled to her. And it was different from whether even if he did reconcile, if that relationship could ever regain trust and restoration. So... As I received that counsel, it really gave me a model of pastoral counseling that's helped many people over the years. And I have a little uh, outline here for you that I'd like to walk you through. And notice that there are three dimensions. I think I have a... Better go to the next slide. Uh, let me just pause for a second. I mentioned freedom includes, we read this this morning, that we have spiritual weapons to tear down strongholds, including the stronghold of bitterness. The pattern is, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? It will make you free. And then also the process that Brother John alluded to, we need to submit to God and resist the devil, and the devil has to flee from us. So those are kind of key principles there, from Second Corinthians 10, John 8:31, James 4: six and seven. And what we're going to do is look at a, a very um, important Jericho. Um, And that Jericho is the Jericho of unforgiveness or resentment. And so the first level I'd like for you to consider is what we'll call relinquishment, relinquishing. And relinquishment is what I'm calling vertical. See that in your outline? It's between you and God, and it doesn't depend upon the offender coming to you and say, I'm sorry. Now, should that happen? Definitely it should. But notice that this is just between you and God. And when that woman in the seminar discovered that, it gave her a whole new sense of hope because she wasn't stuck by having to wait for that person uh, to repent when when he may not ever repent. And so it's just between you and God, so I'll call that vertical, okay? What's the requirement? The offended one's choice. The offended one's choice. Uh, this woman realized that it was her choice to relinquish that resentment to God, to relinquish that bitterness to God. Um, and basically that man would still be accountable to God for his sin, but she wouldn't be chained to him due to unforgiveness and resentment. So it was, a, it was a vertical decision. It was her choice. And notice, friends, the goal. The goal is personal freedom. The goal was not primarily to make things right with that man. The goal was so that she could be free of resentment and and anger and, and bitterness, see the difference? It was really for her benefit. And so sometimes when people are counseled about freedom in Christ, they'll say, why should I, why should I forgive that person for what they did? Well, the first reason is for your benefit and for God's glory, right? Let's think of it this way, friends. We have to live with the consequences of what happened to us anyway. But you have a choice. Do you live with the consequences with the added burden of unforgiveness and bitterness, or do you live with the consequences by God's grace and with that burden of resentment lifted? See the difference? Well, we see that there's a pattern here in our key verse that says we forgive as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. How did God forgive you and me? The Bible says while we were enemies of God, God demonstrated his love in Christ dying for us, right? Greater love is no one than this, that a man gave his life for his friends. So when Christ died on Calvary, he said, Father, do what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people in front of him that were saying, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, then we'll believe in you, and hurling insults at him. They weren't repenting, right? They weren't right with God personally, but Jesus was extending forgiveness to them. He was modeling for us uh, this relinquishment. So the Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, he paid not only for our sins, First John 2, 1 and 2, but also for the sins of the whole world. So potentially anyone on planet Earth, amen, could be saved if they receive Christ as Savior. Question, but does that mean that everyone is saved? No, the Bible clearly says be reconciled to God. The Bible clearly says that we need to flee from the wrath to come and we need to personally receive Christ as Savior to be reconciled to God. So that's how Christ... Um, demonstrates this for us we need to relinquish our bitterness and resentment to god even though we may not be reconciled by that to that person who hurt us does that make sense to you the lord demonstrates that to us by giving his own very son to accomplish redemption for us even though that salvation has to be personally received for us to be reconciled to god so that that brings us to the well before i go to the second level here are some uh principles because this is really the major topic for tonight. Um, the first thing I mention in these practical steps for relinquishment here, A through H, number or letter A, practically list, prayerfully list those you have not fully forgiven. Friends, perhaps you could just whisper a prayer if you haven't already done so and say, Lord, if there's any one I haven't fully forgiven, would you just bring that person to mind and maybe just on a different piece of paper you know start making a list Um, the record for a person i've counseled i think is 70 names (laughs) so uh, i don't think you'll have that many Um, but um, you you write down the names of the people that come to mind you ask god in the words of psalm 139 search me O god okay you let him bring to your mind any names that need to be more fully forgiven letter b Name by name list the issues that need to be relinquished. Now, you don't necessarily have to write that down, but let's say you're having a, a time of prayer with your prayer partner or a counselor, and you have that list of names. You start with the first name, and you just say, pray, you pray to the Lord, Father, why did you bring that name to mind? Would you reveal to me what I need to forgive this person for? And just let him bring to your attention uh, episodes or a cluster of, of maybe a theme, you know, of a, pattern that needs to be relinquished so list the issues not necessarily in writing but in prayer and relinquish that to the lord let her see recognize the hurt and pain involved you might say lord i forgive so and so the person by name for doing this to me or not doing what they should have done to me even though it made me feel and then fill in the blank feel shamed or feel guilty or feel unwanted, whatever that may be. So get in touch, friends, with the emotional component of what's involved. Letter D, entrust the case of each, that should be one, O-N-E, each one to God, knowing he has seen it and will judge righteously. Friends, the idea is that relinquishment, relinquishment means you're giving it to God. You're transferring the case to God like a legal, in a legal sense. You're not keeping track of it. You're giving it to God And you might say, well, am I letting the person off the hook? Well, in a sense, you're not because they're still on the hook with God. They're accountable for their actions, but you're letting them off of your hook. And if you don't, you'll still be hooked to them, right? And that's not freedom. So you're transferring this to God. And he is the only judge. So we need to transfer that to him. And by the way, one other reason why we need to do that is that God is the only one who's totally impartial and sees all the motives and sees the whole context. So we need to give it to him. Letter E, release any rights to revenge. Release any rights to revenge. Let's turn to Romans 12 for a moment, would you? You flip back a few pages to Romans chapter 12. And here in Romans 12, we have some very practical guidance on this issue. Romans 12 verse 17 Romans twelve seventeen recompense or take revenge to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, meaning let God handle it. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst give him a drink. By the way that's not poisonous. <laughs> Give him a drink. For in so doing you shall keep coals of fire on his head. I think the idea is you will you will sensitize and bring conviction on his conscience because he knows he doesn't deserve kindness from you. Be not overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. So friends we need to release any rights to revenge. And uh, there are there are stories and movies that are kind of driven by this whole revenge motive and and unfortunately a lot of the a lot of the terrorism in our world today um, Much of it in the name of, of fundamentalist Islam is driven by this kind of retaliation and revenge Which is not the way of the Lord letter F accept the inevitable ongoing consequences of the wrongs James 1 2 and 3 says let let our trials have their perfect work that we may be complete lacking nothing. And again, as as I mentioned earlier, we need to live with the we have to live with the consequences anyway. But let's live with the consequences in the freedom of forgiveness, not with the added infection of bitterness and resentment. Accept God's compensating grace which is sufficient. The Lord says My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. And our weakness. Aren't you glad that God will give you grace for the place? He really will. Document this process and declare it done. Maybe do some journaling if necessary. Declare it done if the enemy brings it to mind. So friends, uh, let me ask you. Are you willing to relinquish this first level? Say, God, bring to my mind anyone I need to forgive. And then process that, maybe with a prayer partner. Relinquish that to God. Being in touch with the emotional component of it. And release any rights to revenge. And friends, you're doing it ultimately for God's glory and for your good. Do yourself a favor, in a, in a sense. Well, that's, that's what we call relinquishment. And that was my counsel to this man who was so, so in such turmoil from remembering uh, the abuse from his teenage years. He needed to relinquish that to God. The, the grandfather that I alluded to earlier that was so angry, He never processed his anger and forgiveness. And a few years later, even though he was a senior citizen, he left his wife of many years for for another woman and and demonstrated that the stronghold that the enemy had in his life led to him violating his marriage vows and committing sexual immorality through an unlawful divorce um, and leaving his wife. So we see that if we give ground to the enemy, things can get worse and worse. Relinquishment. Let's go to the second level, which I think is often misunderstood. Because someone might say, well, if I relinquish this grievance to God, does that mean that I'm just going to pretend that that thing never happened? If the person has never repented, if he's never made restitution, do I just pretend everything's fine? I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. So we'll call this dimension reconcile. And this is what I'll call horizontal. It's between you and the person who's hurt you, okay? That's why we call it horizontal And here's the requirement. The offender repents. Now, he may not or she may not use these words, but the idea is they say, I was wrong. I did it. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, we have two passages in Matthew about this. One is Matthew 19, you may recall, Matthew 18, where it says, if you know that someone has something, if you have something against someone, you know, take initiative And make it right. Matthew 5 is the opposite. If you're about to pray and you, it comes to your attention that someone has a grievance against you, then remember that passage, leave the offering and and take steps to reconcile. So whether you're the the perceived um, offender or whether you've been offended, in a sense, they should be going toward each other. You know, whichever situation, there is the responsibility for us to take initiative to try to reconcile. Does that make sense? Whether we're the offended one or the offender, we need to be on the road. As much as it depends on you, remember we read that verse, be at peace with all men. Does that make sense? We want, we want to reconcile if possible. And as we talk, maybe we find out that there's been a misunderstanding. And so the, the communication can clear up. But we want to take steps. We want to, to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. And the goal of This reconciliation is a restored relationship. Remember, the goal of relinquishment is your freedom. The goal of reconciliation is a restored relationship. And how does this compare to how God deals with us? When Christ died on the cross, remember, all the sins of the world were paid for, but you and I need to personally repent and say, God, I'm a sinner, save me, and receive his salvation. Then we are reconciled to God, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and following. Be reconciled to God. That's how God deals with us. But you know, there's a third level. Because it's possible that maybe a reconciliation may occur like that. But what if those two people never speak to each other again? Well, technically, they were reconciled. But if if they never have any relational contact, if they don't communicate, if they are not involved in in building the relationship, then it's never progressed to what we'll call restoration. Okay, restoration. Restoration. Restoration is when two reconciled people have healthy communication, practical love, and notice the goal is restored fellowship. The idea is that as healthy communication and love are shown over time, then the trust is rebuilt and the fellowship becomes more meaningful. Isn't that how God deals with us? When you and I were saved, we repented, we received the payment that Christ made for us, we were reconciled to God. But doesn't God call us to spiritual growth, right? So as time goes by, as we talk to God, as we grow, then our fellowship with him gets better and better, and our trust grows, and that's how God forgives us. So I propose to you that we're following the model that God gives. But notice the last column in your chart here. Love is always our responsibility. What's the first category? We need to love a person even if they're an enemy. Question, what do we mean by loving an enemy? Well, an enemy is someone you can't depend upon right now to do good to you or your family. Notice that our Lord is, is not saying pretend that they're not an enemy. He's saying they're, they're an enemy. You, you don't know whether they're going to hurt you, but love them. But what does he mean by love? He doesn't mean pretend they're your best friend. He's saying that if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, you know, give them a drink. Pray for those who despitefully use you. We always need to be kind. Amen? And so we need to to model God's attitude who causes his rain to fall, his sun to shine on the godly and the ungodly. So friends, we never have an excuse not to be kind, compassionate, and loving. Do you agree? I mean, it is, we need the Holy Spirit to do it, right? Um, you might say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, we don't have to necessarily feel like it. We just need to show God's God's compassion. See, love is doing what's good to a person you've chosen to value. Doing what's good for the person you've chosen to value. God values everyone, doesn't he? Because Christ died for everyone. So um, it's possible, friends, for you to relinquish. And maybe you're doing business with God tonight and relinquishing some things to God. And But maybe that person has died. Maybe it's impossible to reconcile Maybe they're still in your life, but they, they've never repented. Well, love them as an enemy, quote unquote. Don't tell them, hey, you're my enemy. <laughs> but, you know, be kind to them. Pray for them. Um, what about reconciliation? Again, when reconciliation occurs, and often it's partly our fault and partly their fault, you know, but you take responsibility. If God shows you that you've contributed to the rift in the relationship, take responsibility. Let's say it's 20% your fault, okay? Take responsibility for your 20% and say, friend, God has convicted me that I had this wrong attitude or did such and such. Will you forgive me? Now, pray that God will convict them of their 80%, right? But you're not going to say, but you did this, right? Let God deal with that. You deal with your, your percentage, all right? But sometimes, friends, beyond reconciliation, there's no opportunity or no motivation to move to restoration. However, in marriage, for example... There's been vows that, that this husband and wife will love each other. So obviously, in marriage, there needs to be relinquishment, reconciliation, and restoration because you definitely are your each other's neighbors, right? And you need to be friends because God has called you to intimacy in Christ. Well, think of a drawbridge. I don't know if there's any drawbridges here uh, in Ireland, but we lived near one that was a huge drawbridge. And so if you have a, a river or a, a canal and big ships go through and there's a road that goes over it, a drawbridge is where um, the road actually swings up like this and allows the ship to pass through. You may have seen one of those, drawbridge. Well, after the ship goes through, then the two sides of the bridge go down, and then the cars can drive back and forth, okay? Well, a broken relationship is like a drawbridge that goes up, right? There's no fellowship back and forth. There's no traffic. Now, when you relinquish, it's like your side goes down, and when they're willing to reconcile, when you forgive them and they reconcile, then their side goes down. And then fellowship is like the traffic going back and forth across that bridge. Well, there are many accounts of my personal life and in and, and biographies that I've read that have inspired me. And one of them is by Corey Ten Boom. Remember Corrie Ten Boom? Um, the great uh, godly woman from World War II who was in prison in Ravensbrück, a uh, prison camp in Germany. And uh, she had so much trauma with uh, um, those who turned her family in for harboring Jewish people during, during the Holocaust. Then uh, her, her sister dies, her you know, family members um, uh, being lost and so forth. Well, she realized that she needed to relinquish, and she did. She became an ambassador of God's grace, didn't she? Around the world, there's a book we have called "Tramp for the Lord" and it talks about her, her uh, sharing the gospel with people around the world after World War II, and also talking about forgiveness. Well, her book mentions that I think she was back in Germany, and she was giving one of her messages about reconciliation and forgiveness, and all of a sudden she sees this fellow come forward, and she recognizes him as one of the prison guards from the Nazi prison camp. And it just hit her like, oh, no, that's that infamous man who was so wicked. And she, I'm sure what flooded through her mind was the loss of her sister and loved ones and things. And she thought, what's going to happen here? And the man comes up to her, Corey, thank you so much for your message tonight. I just want you to know that I am so ashamed of what happened during the war. And I have repented of my sins. I've asked Christ to forgive me. And he has. Will you forgive me? She thought, God, I've been preaching everywhere about forgiveness, but how can I forgive this monster? So she whispers this prayer to God. She says, okay, God, I'm going to hold out my hand and shake his hand, but you've got to do the rest. And she holds out her hand, and when their hands clasped, she says that the grace of God flowed through her in compassion to that man supernaturally. And that's what God will do for you and me, friend. When we humble ourselves and say, God, I need grace for the place, he will give us that grace. When Linda and I were um, ministering in Ontario, I remember God teaching me these principles and I think, I saw, God, you're really, you're really showing me the, the wisdom of forgiveness. But then I thought, but there's one situation that, Lord, this isn't working in. And I remembered uh, a couple that left the church in a negative circumstance. You know, every church has situations where people leave and there's conflict. And, and there was this one person who was an elder in our church and there was a public misunderstanding and he left with his wife and I thought well Lord this works except for that situation right and then the Lord kind of yes Lord (laughs) remember when you said such and such publicly Uh, yeah (laughs) you think that was right hmm come to think of it I don't think that was right (laughs) and so I was convicted that that when there was this disagreement in a public meeting I didn't respond in the way God would want me to respond I thought okay, I guess I'm part to the blame of this conflict. So I said, all right, Lord, based upon these principles, I need to take initiative for my part of this situation. So the next time I see them, Lord, I will confess that and I'll just trust you with the results. Well, we had a meeting in our church and this couple came back for that meeting. I thought, okay, here's my chance. (sighs) Okay, Lord, give me grace. (laughs) Well, um, they didn't talk to us like usual since that thing happened. And they talked to some other people they knew. And then after the meeting, um, they, they were leaving the church. I thought, well, I can't let this opportunity go pie. So I, I followed them out in the parking lot. Excuse me, you know, brother so-and-so and his wife. And they thought, okay, now what's going to happen? I walked up to them and, and I just said, you know, the Lord convicted me. You know, when we had that disagreement at church, you know, I said such and such. And I know that wasn't the right attitude. And God convicted me of that. I just want to ask you to forgive me. I looked at each other like, is this really happening? <laughs> so they said, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. And uh, off they went. I said, okay, Lord, now it's in your hands if it gets, gets beyond that stage. Next time I think we saw them at Community to Store, you know, we kind of, they didn't totally ignore us. Like, you know, hi. Okay, well, that's better than, you know, shunning. Um, then the next time we saw them, it was like, hi, John and Linda, how are you? Hi, fine, how are you? It's like, Phew. thank you, Lord. So there was some, there was some, Not only reconciliation, but restoration. So God validated in that experience as well. Uh, Friends, is this making sense to you? That we always need to relinquish. For our benefit, for God's glory. To be willing to reconcile. To admit our part of the situation. If they refuse to reconcile, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. If they refuse to, bless them in Christ's name. Be kind, pray for them. And wait on the Lord until hopefully uh, things change or their hearts soften. But we can always love them, even if we love them, quote, as an enemy. Someone you can't trust, but you can be kind to and pray for. Another example of this is from a situation um, where a couple that uh, was in our church in Canada, um, married kind of young in life and uh, had a had a, a child come right away, and they were, they were busy kind of adjusting to life together, and they never really had uh, the strong foundation for their marriage. And uh, a few years into their marriage, they had some, some marital conflicts, and it, it turns out that the husband said, I need some time away, and he moved back about an hour away to live with his parents for a while as they sorted out their differences. He called me and said, John, could I have some pastoral counseling? I said, sure. And so we met together over a series of weeks. And, of course, I shared with him the message we've been talking about this week together. And he learned about his identity in Christ and how to, to walk in, in the Spirit. Well, after, uh, I think it was a couple of months, he, uh, he was talking to his wife. and He said, I, I, think, I think I'm ready to move home. I, I really want our marriage to succeed. And she said, I don't want you to move back home. You don't? no, I think I need some more time. He calls me saying, I wanted to move back home. She doesn't want me home. Well, let's keep praying that God will soften her heart. Well, a number of weeks went by and I got a call on the telephone. John, we're in a crisis. My wife and I, can, can you and Linda meet with us? So Linda and I went to the church and, and uh, what's going on? Well, uh, the wife bursts out in tears and says that uh, she got involved in an internet affair and she She met this person and got into an adulterous affair during the time that they were separated. And then God brought her to repentance and conviction and so she confessed this to her husband. So now the husband was wanting to move back home but now he sees this grenade blow up. My wife has been unfaithful. Well, I said, well, how about if Linda and your wife have a prayer time and then you and I need to talk? So Linda led her to another part of the building. They did some Freedom in Christ steps together helping her to to repent and confess things to the Lord and get free of some baggage from her past. And then I reviewed some things with him. And I went through this counseling, this forgiveness model with him. I said, friend, you've been learning about Christ living through you. He's the ultimate forgiver. Are you willing to relinquish this to God? And if your wife is truly sincere and is repenting, are you willing to extend that for her? The Lord says it's his will. You need to forgive as you've been forgiven. Are you willing to do that? Well, he was really wrestling with this because his ego was really hurt and, and just the, the jealousy and, and anger of, being, of, of the adultery that happened. So I didn't know how it was going to go. We, we prayed together. The girls came back in and joined us. And, and the wife, once again, tearfully expressed her sorrow. And here's the husband, upset. You know, how is this going to go? And thankfully, the husband said, well, I'm willing to relinquish this to God. And I, I accept your apology. I'm willing to reconcile. So we, we coached them, we gave them some support, and they, they moved into restoration as they continued to grow and uh, put some, some uh, uh, guardrails up, you know, to protect their, their marriage. She, she cut off that other relationship, and, and they, they built their marriage. I remember, might have been a year later or so, they called us and said, God's really been doing a work of restoration in our marriage, and we'd like to renew our wedding vows. And so um, they actually had a service at the church, invited their immediate family, and they renewed their wedding vows. So it was so encouraging to see how God does this. I, I got a text just, um, I don't think I even got to mention it to my wife. I got a, uh, actually it was an invitation with calligraphy, a nice fancy invitation in the mail. I opened it up. I thought it was a Christmas card. Turns out it's uh, an invitation for a renewal of vows ceremony for a couple where the, the husband, uh, came for me for counseling, um, I think it was about a year and a half ago, and his marriage was in big trouble. He had neglected his role as a godly, loving husband. And, and of course, we're heart specialists, so I guided him to the cross of surrender and identification and freedom. And I um, offered him resources to follow with that, and, but I haven't heard from him in some time. And, and sometimes, as a counselor, you're, you're, although you're encouraged that God has worked in someone's life, you're kind of wishing that they would let you know how things were going. And then I got this uh, announcement in the mail inviting me to their renewal of vows ceremony in their community. So I really would like to go and celebrate with them what God has done. So, friends, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Relinquish, be willing to reconcile, be willing to restore, so that God can be glorified and the kingdom can advance. Is this going to be needed in Ireland? Will it be needed in LifeGate Bible Baptist Church? Will it be needed in your family and your ministry? I think it's needed everywhere, isn't it? Well, we've been talking about the Christ-centered life, redemption, consecration, identification, the need for not only uh, crossing the Jordan, but seeing strongholds come down and then occupying the land of ongoing grace discipleship. But you may have a comment or question as we... We conclude as start to bring in this plane for landing. We do have a brief video to conclude our meeting with. But does anyone have a, a question about what we've covered tonight or a comment that, that you'd like to express? Any question or comment? Anyone at all? Is it making sense to you? Think it's biblical? I believe that God will honor that as you see the wisdom of forgiveness in those ways. Any other questions? Word of testimony, maybe something from one of the other messages or something God's shown you as we've met together or if you've had additional time in the Word. Any concluding word or comment or question? Uh, this video is called The Gospel. And I think you're going to see it. it's a great celebration of what we've been saying about Christ as our Redeemer. But it also brings in the exchange life of Christ living through us. I think you'll be inspired.